Welcome to The Screwball Story, a podcast that explores movies from one of classical Hollywood's most beloved genres, screwball comedy. I'm your host, Olympia Kiriakou, and each week I'll be taking you on a deep dive into one screwball classic. On this episode, I'll be discussing the life and career of Fred McMurray with film historian and writer Charles Tranberg, whose book, Fred McMurray, A Biography, was published in 2007 by Bear Manor Media. He's also the author of several other classical Hollywood books, including Frederick March, A Consummate Actor, Robert Taylor, A Biography, and I Love the Illusion, The Life and Career of Agnes Moorhead. Here's our phone conversation. Welcome, Charles. Thank you so much for joining me to discuss Fred McMurray. Well, thank you for inviting me, Olympia. I I love talking about Fred McMurray and especially the movies he did with Carol Lombard. Wonderful. So before we dive into McMurray's his life and his career, I wanted my listeners to get to know you. So when did you first discover classical Hollywood and specifically Fred McMurray? I discovered Fred McMurray and classical Hollywood when I was growing up in uh, the suburbs of Los Angeles in the 1970s, and they had all these wonderful local stations, and on these local stations, they showed reruns of the old, you know, TV shows of the 50s, Father's Little Best, uh, Rose Best, I Love Lucy, and of course, My Three Sons. And mm-hmm. so I I discovered him that way, and I also discovered him because these same networks did million-dollar movies and uh, mm-hmm. things like uh, things like that, local movies um, that showed films in the 30s and the 40s. And so I saw some of his work and, of course, many other stars that I, I just loved growing up, like Abbott and Costello, uh, Jerry Lewis and uh, Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn, and so you know, it, I, at a very young age, uh, I, I was into classic Hollywood, and uh, which made me kind of unusual uh, compared to with my my peers. I love that though. It's a it's a good education, and it it you can learn so much about history through classical Hollywood. Oh, definitely. See what it's like in the 1930s in, you know, in Hollywood terms anyway. Definitely. So how did the biography come about? And I guess what was the most unexpected thing you learned while on your research journey? Well, it came about uh, when I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and I decided to go and check out the State Historical Society, which had had an archive. I wasn't I didn't really know what I was going to look for or find, but I went through, um, you know, what they had uh, among their uh, papers, Mm -hmm. and I saw that uh, they had papers of Agnes Moorhead, who was another uh, classic star, a supporting player in movies and so on, uh, who I much admired and uh, was in classic radio and 
that they had like 159 boxes of her oh, wow. uh, letters, scripts, uh, cards, different things like that. And I said, hey, this would be fun to go through. And so I you know, ordered one box, went through it, another box. And I said, you know, I don't think there's ever been a full-length book on uh, Agnes Moorhead, who certainly deserves one given the kind of career she had. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to to research it, seek out people that she worked with and knew, and and write that book. And that was my first book, and uh, and that led to um, seven more books since then. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I love Agnes Moorhead. She's such a I'm a, I'm a Wells fan, Orson Wells fan, and I mean, she worked with him many times, and I think she's just a, such a prolific performer. I'm so glad that you were able to celebrate her her career that way. Oh, I'm happy that I found it because this is, you know, this kind of changed my life too. Because uh, I I have not been able to make a living as a writer of classic Hollywood. Uh, mm-hmm. But it has enriched me, and that it's given me a hobby that I truly enjoy, and uh, yeah, a few extra bucks along the way too. And, and I've met a lot of great people uh, who love uh, classic Hollywood. With Fred McMurray, I know he began his career as a saxophonist, and then he eventually landed um, an acting contract at Paramount in I think 1934. So can you talk a little bit about his early years? Did he have acting ambitions, and what brought him to Hollywood? No, he really didn't have acting ambitions. He was just a very ordinary guy. He was uh, born, um, his birthday is going to be coming up on the 30th, August 30th, Mm. 1908. Um, He was actually born in Illinois, but he spent a lot of his childhood in Wisconsin in a town called, and I live fairly uh, close to it, maybe about 60 miles, called Beaver Dam. Um, Mm -hmm. His uh, father was a concert violinist and also a music teacher. And um, and eventually uh, he was out of the picture, and it was just uh, Fred and his mother, and they stayed with a, an aunt to a former vaudevillian in Beaver Dam. Um, but he just did ordinary things a, a, a boy did, uh, played sports. Uh, um, when, he, when he was in school, he did play instruments. He did, he did have uh, music, and hmm. he did become a, a – he played the piano or – the saxophone, as you mentioned, and that was the, the big instrument. That's the one that he would go on and play in bands. Um, but he got a full scholarship to college, uh, Carroll College in Waukesha, and to earn extra money, he played in local bands. Eventually, he uh, he and his mother went to um, California, like. 1920s, and so he, while he was there, he found some extra work in movies. But his, uh, to support them, what he did the most was uh, play in pit orchestras, and eventually, 
uh, he became part of what was called the California Collegians, mm-hmm. a uh, a band that uh, eventually traveled cross country and um, got on Broadway. Um, they were hired to appear in a, a program or a, a Broadway play called Three's a Crowd, mm-hmm. uh, which had a cast uh, Clifton Webb, uh, Libby Holman, uh, Fred Allen, and that became successful. It was kind of a review. And then that led to Roberta, which uh, was a show with uh, on Broadway with Bob Hope. And uh, it was at around that time, 1934, that uh, he went to the New York Paramount office and uh, because somebody had seen him in, in the play where he he did the he did a song with Libby Holman as a sailor and they kind of liked his looks. Hmm. He was a tall, handsome guy, and. Um, and that led to his being signed by a contract for a contract with Paramount Pictures. And his first major comedy role was just a year later, I believe, in The Gilded Lily. He plays Peter Dawes, and that was the first of his several films that he made with Claudette Colbert. And how would you describe his screen dynamic with her, and how did it sort of evolve over their nearly 15-year professional relationship? Well, you know, that's a, an amazing thing right there. I mean, he he did a couple of minor films before that, but this was, so this was his first big film. Mm-hmm. And she was, at, in 1935, already a major star. Uh, she had won the Academy Award uh, for the previous year's, um, um, oh my gosh. Uh, it Happened One Night? It Happened, it happened One Night with Gable. So yes. she had uh, was able to um, have a say in who was cast as her leading man. Mm-hmm. And so she had uh, seen a couple of these smaller films that he did and um, at Paramount, and she said, yeah, I think I think it'll, it'll work out fine. And they had a, a good relationship, um, not as good as, say, with Carol Lombard, but mm-hmm. it was a strong relationship. He, um, She taught him different things like camera angles and uh, uh, when you're on stage, you, you kind of talk uh, at a, in a higher volume and she kind of, uh, even before the um, the director would, would tell him, now, you know, you don't need to kind of shout your lines here mm-hmm. in the movies because they'll pick it up uh, yeah. on, on the boom. Um, you know, they kind of practice their scenes before the director got to them. So like with Carol, she was helpful to him in that mm-hmm. way. And as you say, they went on, I think, to do seven movies together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they were just a, a very good, uh, attractive team. And not the last one, but I think their most successful one was The Egg and I at Universal in uh, 1947 uh, in terms of box office. But, um, yeah, they were wonderful. 
and he had very high esteem for her. They had they seemed like they had a good time working together. You can tell that they got along and they sort of were able to, you know, blend their styles together. It's it's really lovely to watch them. It's kind of interesting, you know, here's Fred McMurray going to Hollywood in 19, mm-hmm. uh, really his first year, 1935, and he's in movies with Claudette Colbert <laughs> and Catherine Hepburn and Alice Adams, which was his first real um, kind of dramatic film, uh, but mm-hmm. a wonderful love story. Um, and he's very good in it. Um, yeah. And then, of course, hands across the table with Carol Lombard. I mean, can you imagine uh, being, uh, being a, a relatively unknown and being cast in those types of films, those dynamic female stars and, you know, top directors? Amazing. It's incredible, just the trajectory that he was on in those early years. It's it's remarkable to have such a you know meteoric rise. And you yes. you mentioned Hands Across the Table. It is, I think, my favorite Carol Lombard movie and one of my all-time favorite films. And obviously, Lombard was a frequent collaborator, like Colbert. Um, they worked together three more times after that. And I love that movie so much because of their chemistry. And I think my favorite scene is when they're on the, the telephone with uh, Fred and Ray's character's fiance. Yes, Bermuda, exactly. <laughs> that is a wonderful scene. And I'm sure you read uh, about how that scene closed with them collapsing in, in laughter. And uh, according to Mitchell Lyson, the, direct, uh, the director, um, that wasn't supposed to uh, be something that they would continue to, you know, to film, but he did. Yeah. And they had such a good chemistry together in that film and in all of their films. It's it's such a lovely scene. You can tell, like, the it feels genuine, and you, I mean, we know it is now, but you can even if you didn't, you know, know the backstory, you can just see these two characters are just like having a ball with one another. And I think that, you know, definitely speaks to McMurray's relationship with, with Lombard. And why do you think they made such a successful screen couple? Well, he just adored her. I mean, everybody who met her adored her. Um, mm-hmm. But um, according to June uh, Haver, Fred's second wife, um, Fred told her, and it's something because, you know, leading men are always, and leading ladies are always asked, who's your favorite co-star? Well, Fred, Mm -hmm. like most of them, would say, you know, they're all wonderful or something like that. But uh, June Haver confided that after Fred had passed that uh, Lombard he considered the most fun to work with because uh, he never knew what she was going to do or say and uh, had just such a, a great personality. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, they called her, what, the, the, um, the profane, profane angel? angel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she looked like an angel but swore like a sailor. And um, <laughs> he, he also said in an interview once, I never heard such profanity from any one man or woman. She's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I think he just... Uh, she 
just had such a great personality, such good humor, and yeah. he appreciated that she helped him, like Colbert did, uh, mm-hmm. but helped uh, him in so many ways, especially on Gilded Lily, uh, mm-hmm. when he was still, you know, uh, kind of uh, not very uh, secure yet in how to play comedies. Yeah, I, I love that she was really, she mentored him. And I think that's like a something that I've no, noticed in rereading your book, that mentorship is this constant theme throughout his career. And as you said, um, he was mentored by the likes of, you know, Lombard, Colbert, um, and, you know, I think Barbara Stanwyck even guided him in some of his career choices. And then he would later do the same with uh, McDonald Carey. Right, right. He mentioned that... Uh... McDonald Carey that uh, uh, had he McCary, uh he went on of course to to uh, the war and the mm-hmm. war interrupted his career and he felt that had he stayed at Paramount during the war that he would have been um, um, become a second Fred McMurray mm-hmm. and that the the original was at uh, around that time leaving the studio after. 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. uh, And he was a mentor and and did offer advice uh, because he got that kind of treatment from his his co-stars in these early films. Mm -hmm. And so he appreciated it and so he he, um, brought that on to to help others. Um, He sort of paid it forward, yeah. Yeah. That's the way to say it, yeah. And Lily, Fred's uh, first wife, became a great friend of Carol Lombard's as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a quote from Carol that Lily was, according to Carol, really the most decent person I've ever met in Hollywood, which really says a lot. Uh, But uh, Lombard and and Gable and uh, Lily and Fred, they would, to go out for barbecues, nightclubs, races. So, yeah, they became, they were professional friends and also mm-hmm. personal friends. So that was that was nice. It's very touching. And I think that the quote that you just mentioned, I love it. And I think it sort of speaks to his and, and Lillian's, their down-to-earth personalities. And I get the impression with Fred McMurray that he viewed acting as a profession, but it wasn't necessarily like a a lifestyle. Like Hollywood wasn't, he wasn't, um, you know, dazzled by Hollywood as an institution. And he was always, I guess, first and foremost committed to his family. Um, What sort of guy was Fred McMurray off the screen? Off the screen, he was uh, very affable, Mm -hmm. somewhat tight in that he, uh, he didn't like to spend a lot of money. He said that it was part of his Scotch upbringing. So <laughs> some people <laughs> kind of got the idea that he was a, a tightwad. But when he needed to, he he, he would spend uh, money. Um, Lily and Fred adopted uh, a couple of children. Mm-hmm. Um, he enjoyed uh Sports still that followed him from boyhood. So uh, he would go hunting, fishing, um, go to 
football, baseball games with a lot of his his uh, his friends, and not all of his friends were in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, he got along with uh, he had a ranch, and uh, his foreman on the ranch became a very good friend, and they often went uh, fishing or hunting together. Um, mm-hmm. He was a devoted husband to mm-hmm. Lillian and, and later to June. Um, there's a, a quote again, because he was such a, a, a good-looking guy that uh, when he did a picture with Marlena Dietrich, uh, uh, Mitchell Eisen had to tell Dietrich, now don't don't make a, a move on Fred. He's so devoted to to Lillian that uh, it, it won't go anywhere, and it will just you know cause problems on the picture. And she followed that. Um, so he he was known to be a devoted husband in an industry mm-hmm. that uh, where not exactly everybody was. Yeah, he seemed like very similar to his his sort of star persona, like what you see is what you got with him. I would say so. Um, you know, what you see, uh, Fred McMurray, um, in, in My Three Sons as uh, that father figure, I think that's pretty close to, and according to uh, uh, Don Grady, who played Robbie on the show and mm-hmm. was very helpful on my book with uh, with Fred, he was very much like like he was as Steve Douglas. You mentioned my three sons. It's I think it's a good example to me, and one of the reasons why I like him so much as an actor is that it's a good example of his ability to sort of reinvent himself. And you, you could say that even with a film like you know Double Indemnity, there, his career was so versatile. He was you know a romantic comedy lead, a noir anti-hero. He went on to be like this all-American TV Disney dad, and each phase was as distinct as the last. As someone who studied his career at length, are there certain characteristics or traits that you can sort of identify across his career? You you mentioned that uh, um, he was somebody who could do it all. Mm -hmm. And that he could do comedy, you know, you mm-hmm. can name all the wonderful comedies he did. He could do drama. He did westerns. He did war pictures. He did romantic pictures. He did musicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, he did it all. He was one of those, of that era of versatile uh, actors, leading men who, who like um, maybe Jimmy Stewart or Gary Cooper, could do it all except that they couldn't do musicals. So I guess Jimmy did once. Uh, but anyway, but at least, but Fred had a pleasing voice. But, um, I mean, he was, he, he just, the fact that he did do it all is one of the reasons why he was durable, because mm-hmm. he could reinvent himself. I mean, the mid-50s was a sad period for a lot of leading men like Fred. Um, yeah. You had Joel McRae, who did so many wonderful comedies um, mm-hmm. and other types of pictures, um, doing nothing but uh, good, solid B-Westerns, but uh, 
mm-hmm. it was kind of looked down on. And Fred was kind of going that way, too, by the mid-50s. Um, yeah. And then he reinvents himself when Billy Wilder offers mm-hmm. him uh, uh, the apartment. Yeah. Um, again, he doesn't, I, I don't want to do that. I, I can't do that kind of role, kind of the same thing he did uh, with double indemnity and trying to get out of that. No, no, I, I can't play that kind of guy. And Wilder said, you can and you will. And he does mm-hmm. it, and he does it well. Yeah. And that leads uh, to my three sons, 12 mm-hmm. years on, on television, a new generation of fans. And at the mm-hmm. same time, he's he's doing those Disney films. And yeah. he would never take on a role like... Uh, like the apartment again. By that time, he was America's dad. He was yeah. uh, looked up to as a father figure, and and that's what he wanted to do. And he was very successful, and he did find those new generation of fans. Definitely, I think it's it's um, a testament to him that he was able to you know reinvent himself in that way. And I guess that is sort of the key to his career longevity. What do you think made My Three Sons such a success? And what is this, what is the show's, I guess, greatest legacy? I think what made it a success is that you have, it kind of turns things around. You have a household full of of, of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, instead of, uh, say, the mother-in-law, you have the grandfather. You have... Uh, you have Fred McMurray uh, as the father figure, and then you mm-hmm. have the three boys, and you don't, uh, and and you see it, you know, it's a chaotic uh, household, and it just kind of caught on, I think, for for that yeah. that time period, and um, and of course, they had to tweak it along the way because you couldn't go forever like that, mm-hmm. and so they brought in. The oldest guy, he left the show, um, got married, and then they brought in a, a girlfriend for Robbie, who was very popular. And then finally, mm-hmm. Fred McMurray's towards the last three years, he gets married. So it, like Fred's career, it changes with the times. And you had yeah. that wonderful um, character actors. Uh, mm-hmm. You had Bill Frawley, first of and I'm a big fan of the first five years with Bob. Yeah. I think those are the best years. And then you have Bill Demarest uh, for the mm-hmm. rest of the run and, and the way they play, all played off of each other. It was, I should mention, a very difficult to show to shoot, though, mm-hmm. because Fred was a, when he took on My Three Sons, he really didn't want to do a TV series because he thought it would interrupt with his with playing golf or um, shooting a movie and mm-hmm. he'd heard all these you know tales from like friends like Robert Young oh it'll kill you you know it's long hours and it is long hours but he got a contract uh, where all his scenes would be shot in uh, something like 65 days Mm-hmm. Um, and non-consecutively. So when Fred was around, 
they did every they had to have several scripts ready to shoot uh say they were doing a scene in a kitchen so they would do kitchen scenes for several episodes they would do mm-hmm. living room scenes they would and it would all be focused on fred then the rest of the cast would come back and and fill in the rest um mm-hmm. Of the of the episode, and uh, I think it was Stanley Livingston who played Ch- uh, Chip, who said that uh, often if you were, you know, doing a scene with Fred, supposedly with Fred, and you were looking up at him because he was a tall guy, uh, it was actually a mop that they <laughs> that they were holding up there that you're looking at, and some script person who's reading the lines and. The mop became so famous that they named it Fred McMop. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but that didn't uh, hurt him with the actors on the show. When he was mm-hmm. there, he was affable, he was helpful, um, and uh, they liked him, you know, very much. We became very close. They, the boys mm-hmm. would go to him for, um, you know, personal reasons even and so I guess he became like their their second father almost yes I'd say so yeah the that McMurray system that you're describing it must have been I guess for act I'm an actor obviously so I don't you know know how it is to work in those conditions but it must have been a, a big learning curve well yeah it had to have been for for people on the show and uh you know, I'm I'm wondering why uh how people like Demarest and Frawley, these old um you know, character actors dealt with it, you know, uh yeah. because they were uh they were but it didn't seem to hurt his relationship with them. But you know, mm-hmm. what did they really think of that? <laughs> I think um <laughs> some people may have been a bit jealous, but uh, mm-hmm. It all worked out, and actually, this became something uh, that other actors would do. Brian Keith used it on um, a Family Affair, another mm-hmm. Don Federson show, and mm-hmm. I think I think Henry Fonda used it on The Smith Family. So. It's, it seems like a good example of McMurray's his business savvy to be able to negotiate a contract and a production schedule that, you know, works around his life. He had a very good uh, business mind. They Mm -hmm. say he was, uh, that he owned a lot of, a lot of real estate in in Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he died, I mean, he was worth, I mean, probably, they don't say exactly, but some people have speculated in excess of a hundred million dollars. Wow! And uh, so he invested well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it wasn't, and it wasn't really his his acting, you know, uh, as good as he was that brought in mm-hmm. that money. It was his investments, oil wells, real estate, things like that. I want to switch gears back to comedy, and um, a quote that I read in your book by James Robert Parrish that I think describes him so perfectly he said that. McMurray possessed a, a lumbering casualness about him. I guess, how would you describe the McMurray comedy hero? And 
what qualities uh, did he bring to the screen? Well, you know, it's kind of two McMurray comedy heroes um, in a way. You have mm-hmm. the 30s, early 40s leading man mm-hmm. who was kind of a diamond in the rough um, mm-hmm. and that these these women have to kind of, um, you know, uh, tame in a way, um, who's kind of a smart aleck um, and yet is very much, uh, you know, a good guy at heart. Um, and then you have kind of like the, yeah, the Disney uh, McMurray comedy uh, persona mm-hmm. um, in films like The Shaggy Dog and um, Absent-Minded Professor. He's befuddled. Um, he uh, uh, doesn't know exactly what's going on around him, and he's reacting to all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and both, I think, are, are equally funny. So I think as he mm-hmm. aged... He, you know, some of that wisecrackery uh, from the 30s um, in the more romantic years uh, kind of uh, kind of left him and he became uh, not a buffoon or anything like that, but just uh, kind of... Uh, I, I I don't know what's going on around here. Why 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 are why is everybody acting this way? You know, I, I, I can't exactly. That's my Fred McMurray, by the way. I, um, I think he knew how to to do it, and mm-hmm. he just did it. He was one of those time types of actors. He just had a natural. It came to him naturally. I think comedy. Definitely. It's very charming. And that sort of like bumbling father, it's not done in like a a stupid way. It's very still charming and endearing. And I think that's a testament to his proficiency at comedy. And when he had to take a firm hand still, like on My Three Sons or even some of those Disney films, he Mm -hmm. could and did. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was was just... uh, a man, I think, that that you could count on. When you mm-hmm. hired Fred McMurray, you could count on him to, to deliver the goods. Yeah, you knew what you were going to get. And I think that, um, if I recall correctly, I think that's one of the reasons why I got along so well with someone like Walt Disney, who was, I don't know, they seem like they have a very similar persona. Or like Fred McMurray is like a variation of the Walt Disney persona, if that makes sense. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Walt Disney was very close to to Fred um, and vice versa. They mm-hmm. socialized together. They just became comfortable. They were two comfortable uh, old shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Fred uh, could relate to him. Uh, uh, he, Walt would come out uh, to the set and visit, and they would just, you know, kind of lean back, and Fred had his pipe. Sometimes Walt had a pipe, mostly cigarettes, and they would just, uh, you know, talk and not necessarily about, oh, how's the picture going, but just about anything. Um, yeah, they were, I think they were did have a great deal. That's a very, very astute comment in common. 
Yeah, I mean, Walt had that Uncle Walt persona. It was still, it's, and of course, he was very familiar to um, Americans at the time. They would have seen him on TV. So it's like these dual, very comforting father figures. Yeah, people forget that uh, that Walt Disney um, introduced every week while he was still living his TV series, and that's yes. how he got that Uncle Walt uh, kind of persona. Uh, known, known uh, nationwide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was a lot like that. One final question before I let you go. Since you are the Fred McMurray expert, if you could recommend one piece of Fred McMurray media, it's a film, TV show, radio show, whatever it may be, that encapsulates his essence and to introduce maybe new um, fans to his persona, what would it be and why? Let me just put it this way. A lot of people know the Disney films. A lot of people know Double Indemnity and The Apartment. and But I don't think a lot of people realize uh, what a good film and what a great performance he gave in a film with Carol Lombard called Swing High, Swing Low. Oh, I'm so uh, glad you picked that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, with, which, again, Mitchell lies and directed mm-hmm. and, um, 1937. I mean, mm-hmm. he is this, again, we're going back to the earlier McMurray persona. He's mm-hmm. an arrogant, kind of egotistical trumpet player. And Carol Lombard, uh, in a way, in her way, tries to kind of humanize him. And, mm-hmm. and he just does this, uh, uh, does a wonderful job throughout the picture and there's yeah. a scene in it towards the end where he's, uh, they've broken up, he's very sick, and he just collapses mm. uh, in the scene with her. And it's done so well. And you say, you know, everybody says the first time Fred McMurray really did uh, a real dramatic part is Double Indemnity. But no, he's he's very good. Uh, even though there are comedy moments in it, in Swing High, Swing Low. And so is, so is Carol Lombard. The problem with that picture is that it's not easy to be, be found. It's on yeah. DVD, but I don't think it looks very well. I don't know if they have a good print of it. I, I'm just not sure. I um, I completely agree with you, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think maybe people are reluctant to visit it. And I'm right there with you. I think it's such a fantastic film. It's one of my favorite Lombard movies. And I think it definitely shows a, a different dynamic with her and Fred. There are those lighthearted moments that you mentioned, but those dramatic scenes, they play them so well. And um, yeah. I know the, the print that's circulating, I think it was a blown up version of, one of Mitchell Lyson's personal, like sixteen millimeter prints. So I'm, I'd love it for it to be restored properly. I don't know how if that'll ever happen, but it would be nice because it it is it's a marvelous movie. I think it was Paramount's number one film the year it was released too. Mm-hmm. So it was very successful, and it's so good. It's a shame that it isn't more widely known. Yeah. I am wholeheartedly there with you for that recommendation. So if you're 
for those listening to this episode, if you haven't seen it, um, two recommendations. Definitely go check it out. But I just wanted to say, too, I think um, all of the films that they did together, mm-hmm. Carol and Fred, uh, have something going for them. Um, as yeah. you mentioned, we've, we talked about Hands Across the Table. We've now mentioned um, Swing High, Swing Low. But I also think The Princess Comes Across has its uh, is also kind of a fun movie. Um, yeah. True Confession is... is a, you know, it's kind of a different type of movie. It had a lot of problems with censors, but uh, it's kind of fun too. Uh, I really like it. Yeah, it's cute, yeah. and I, I they played it recently for Carol Lombard Day on TCM, and I was just so heartened to see how many people were watching it for the first time, and so many people were saying, you know, I'm so surprised by how fun this is. I love it, and it just, I like. Yeah. I think it's very charming and. Again, a good example you, of their, their comedic banter. <laughs> yes. How did you like Fred's uh, uh, mustache in the film? <laughs> I think you looked like handsome somebody, with it. Okay. I, I, a lot of people say, why does he have that mustache? That, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> that I talked to. And I, and, uh, I don't know if she, uh, why he he grew it for the movie, but uh, it, it was different and it was okay. Are you pro mustache or anti mustache? Oh, I'm pro mustache. Um, <laughs> I think he looks okay with it. And and besides, it was, uh, you know, maybe it was Fred trying to look a little bit like Gable. I I don't know. Lama. Yeah, that's a good Anyways, point. Yeah. <laughs> it was her. It was her final Paramount film. If she had stayed mm-hmm. at Paramount, it would be interesting to know if they would have been cast in other films together. Uh, I, I have to also mention another Fred McMurray film I absolutely love, and it's Remember the Night with Barbara oh, Sandwich. I love it. Is, mm-hmm, it is a film that is always shown uh, during the Christmas season, and mm-hmm. always, we always watch it here in, in my house as well. It's one of those classics. I mm-hmm. think that would have been uh, as good as Stanwick is, and she's one of the best, and he mm-hmm. worked so well with her. I think Lombard would have been wonderful in that film with him as well. I could see that. Yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen Carol in more dramas. I know she was turned off by some of the reviews for her late 30s, early 40s uh, melodramas, but I wish she had, I mean, obviously had she lived, maybe had she could she have you know pursued that a little more. Um, I would have liked to have seen her in a noir as well. But, I mean, I do love uh, McMurray's um, chemistry in that film with Stanwyck. And there's just so many beautiful scenes and haunting scenes. The the part where they go visit her mother's house and they haven't, she hasn't seen her in uh, years. It's just devastating. And then he takes her to a real family Christmas. And you can see yeah. how she immediately changes. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's just uh, one of those wonderful films that uh, they could only make in nineteen in nineteen forty or during that that era. It seems to me it worked Absolutely. so well. Yeah, no, the the Christmas scene where she's watching them sing at the piano. It's it's beautiful. And uh, 
and then the the scene where uh, the same scene. There's a picture of young Fred on the piano, I think, and she yes. kind of looks at it and says, "Cute, huh?" And that was <laughs> an ad lib. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> Supposedly, anyway. Oh, um, I love that. So yeah, so that's another one I would I would mention as well. Well, you picked two of my favorite films, so I I am right there with you on both of those. Well, wonderful, and uh, and I really enjoyed talking with you today about Fred McMurray and uh, about his films, and I thank you so much for asking me to do this. Well, thank you. I, I learned so much, and I really enjoyed speaking with you as well, so thank you. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Screwball Story. If you'd like to stay up to date on news and other happenings, please follow me on Instagram or Twitter at The Screwball Story. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>